You're listening to Houston. We have a podcast where we talk everything and anything movies and their reviews. And this is episode 12. Hey, everybody. Show here. Welcome to Houston. We have a podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Houston We Have a Podcast is produced every two weeks for your enjoyment, and show notes can be found at houstonwehaveapodcast.libsyn, which is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite feed or on iTunes, and you can follow me on Twitter at S-N-S-A-L-L-I. That's S-N-S Alley. Star Wars is here, everyone. Star Wars is here. This has been my most anticipated movie all year, and I'm not afraid to say I am less than objective when it comes to Star Wars. I said as much in the podcast before, but I am a big-time fan. I have a Star Wars tattoo, posters on every wall to the point I'd be a little concerned about my long-term prospects if I wasn't already seeing someone, and even then I think she's a little so-so in my choice of decoration, and I've gone to Star Wars Celebration three times in my life thus far. I mean, I've already started saving for 2019 celebration and subsequent park opening. So, yes, I am a biased, biased person. I, I excitedly bought my tickets for the advanced screening here in Toronto, and I've now seen the movie twice already. So we'll definitely be talking about Star Wars The Last Jedi. But before we get there, I wanted to discuss something else with you all first. The idea of fandom, and further to that point, what it means to be a fan of something in general. Fandom, of course, is a very broad stroke, as everyone interacts with the idea of being a fan differently. For example, when I was at Star Wars Celebration this year, I saw fans break out into tears when they saw Harrison Ford step out onto the stage, while others just politely clapped. Neither of those people were doing it wrong, certainly, and the person crying isn't necessarily more of a fan than the person clapping, but it, it always, that like, that scene, that visual stuck with me, because in that sense, what does it mean to be a fan? If you cry, are you more of a fan than someone who just claps, or who, who's crying on the inside? Like, who knows, right? I bring up this question because over the last few days, I've seen a lot of interaction with critical and audience reviews of The Last Jedi, which have been uh, polarizing, to say the least. For example, I saw a relatively popular critic tweet out, retweet if you saw every Star Wars movie in its original theatrical run, as if that made those people, what, quote-unquote better or quote-unquote truer fan than those who are not yet born. It's interesting, right, because fandom evolves over time as well, right? The way you interact with your favorite things changes over time. I, for example, as you know, work at a sports talk radio station. Everyone there is a rabid, diehard sports fan. And I would use those terms to describe myself as well, certainly. When the Toronto Maple Leafs clinched a playoff spot against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the dying games of the regular season last year, the newsroom, the hub, it, it just erupted in jubilation and happiness and joy and energy. So this idea of interacting with something you love is certainly not limited to Star Wars or even to movies, right? It goes for food restaurants, television, books, sports, you name it, right? I, I experienced this myself when I got out of the theater for The Last Shot. I, I really enjoyed the movie, and I enjoyed the experience itself. People cheer when the opening credits came on. Someone did a little Chewbacca, Wookiee, uh, like, cry. It was, it was great. 
but I got home afterwards and I realized I had more pressing things to do than to think about this movie as I usually would have. You know, I, I mean, I thought about it. I chatted with some friends, my cousin who I went to see the movie with, and I moved on. And the old me would have immediately gone on the internet forums, uh, Twitter and all this stuff to discuss and to chat and to read. And it's interesting seeing that evolution in myself as well as in other people. Uh, I guess the last bit of musing I wanted to do before we get to the actual review was a little more direct on The Last Jedi. I mentioned the reviews for the movie were pretty polarizing, and I can understand, I can at least understand why people, why people feel that way, even if I don't necessarily agree, right? But it does bring to mind something more relevant, which is there's never ever going to be pleasing an entire fan base. It's impossible, especially with something as widespread as Star Wars. I'll say this, but before we get to the review, Star Wars The Last Jedi is different. Almost startlingly so, and I think that's where a lot of the criticism lies. It's not a perfect movie, and I mean, obviously few movies are perfect, you know, quote-unquote perfect, but on the whole, the movie is a fun, engaging, wild times ride into the Star Wars universe, and it's both familiar and fresh, and the latter part of that, the fresh part, can make some people feel a little uncomfortable, understandably so. And I, I guess when the beaten path is what you expect, right, and you veer off somewhere else, it's natural... It's natural to react a certain way because, I mean, you know, you're expecting one thing, you get another thing, and it's just natural to kind of react with shock or or what have you, right? And I think, uh, yeah, natural, right? And, and like I mentioned, there's no there's no pleasing everyone. For some, the answers to questions about characters like Snoke or Rey were expected, again, to be a certain way. And I, I, I probably is safe to say whatever you may have guessed about them is likely wrong, which, you know, annoyed some and pleased others. And and I guess it's just fascinating to hear people anoint themselves as true fans or thinking that is good or that is bad or, you know. I've, I even saw people saying they want George Lucas to take back the reins. I mean, people. Just a few years ago, everyone, everyone and their mother was deriding Lucas for rooting their favorite franchise with, what, stuff like midichlorians and altering the original trilogy and adding some more songs and making Han shoot... Uh, you know, sh- shooting second, I guess, and now you want him to take the ropes back from Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams? I mean, come on, give me give me a break, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm very passionate about Star Wars. Forgive me for waxing a little long there. But I'm going to stop there for that kind of musing, and we'll get, at, we'll get into the actual spoiler-filled review of The Last Jedi. So if you're spoiler-averse, listen no further. The Last Jedi. What a movie. Really, what a movie. Even after seeing it the second time. And I did I did enjoy it the more more the second time around. I was still so awestruck that it was so radically different. You know, it's basically a movie about failure. It's about how different people deal with failure in different ways. And it's about moving on from the old familiar past. 
It's about shaking off what's come before and embracing the new. It's not necessarily, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like these, you know, I, I'm sure some people will have a take on it like, the millennials are ruining Star Wars and this is not your mother's Star Wars and blah, 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 right? But no, it's, it's not necessarily about that. It's just, it's a movie that doesn't necessarily abide by the rules. You know, I, I use rules in kind of air quotes there, right? It's, not, it's a movie that doesn't abide by those rules that have been supposedly established by all the other episodes, including The Force Awakens by J.J. Abrams, right? And I guess it's just when you expect the movie to zig and it zags, it can be disconcerting, right? The line from the trailer, this is not going to go the way you think, that proved to be true in a lot of ways, and obviously it was intentional by Lucasfilm and Disney, but even so, it's a bit of a hard thing, I, I would imagine, to accept for some. But I will say, I liked it. I, I liked the change. I liked the newness. I liked the difference. I mean, certainly the movie is not without its flaws, but we'll, we'll get into that in a sec. But I want to get, first off the bat, and again, this is a spoiler part of the movie. I, I really want to stress that because I don't want anyone saying I didn't warn you. No, this is a spoiler part of the review. So if you have not seen this movie, I strongly suggest you do not listen any further. But if you have, please join us as we talk about spoilers. But for the major bits, well, okay, let's talk about Snoke, Supreme Leader Snoke. He dies pretty much halfway through the film in his only, what, I guess his second appearance in the whole movie. And we also learn about Rey's heritage, right? We learn that her his, her heritage is nothing, right? She's the daughter of a bunch of coked-up losers who sold, sold her for drugs or booze or both or whatever and took off and died in a pauper's grave, to borrow the phrase from Ben Solo, i.e. Kylo Ren. Many people, I don't know, I obviously expected much more from those two massive character decisions, right? Understandably so. The movie The Force Awakens came out two years ago, and you kind of expect, again, because this is the beaten path, you expect something to grandiose to come, right? This is the middle act of a Star Wars trilogy. You expect some kind of big twist, right? Like uh, in Empire Strikes Back, of course, probably the most famous twist in the history of movies. Luke, I am your father. I, that, wow, I can't believe I just misquoted that. No, I am your father is the actual quote. Wow, just take away my fan credentials right now. I'm, I'm so sorry. Please ignore what I just said. But I, I love both of those decisions, the Ray decision and the Snoke decision. And we'll start with Snoke, right? He he was seemingly the generic bad guy. These big-time speeches, which were delivered great by Andy Serkis, but if that's all he was going to be, then it seems like he would just be a waste of screen time. You know, if if, if he's just going to ape the Emperor, we don't need to see that. We saw we saw Emperor Palpatine or, or Chancellor Palpatine and Senator Palpatine, and we saw all the versions of of the Darth Sidious and all this stuff for for six straight movies and. I don't really think that's neat. You don't need to rehash that. We already got a rehash, a pilot cleanser, as you will, for The Force Awakens. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really see the point in, in, in having just them retread the same ground over again, right? And the, the, the plus to that, to them killing off Snoke halfway through this movie, is with his death, we get a much more interesting Kylo Ren. And I dare say the best thing about The Last Jedi is Adam Driver's performance in that role. Kylo Ren, honestly, to me, is the Anakin Skywalker we should have gotten in the prequels. The angry, hurt, conflicted, but also knowing what he ultimately wants. It's such a fascinating take, honestly. That's, like I said, that's, I think, what Lucas and the rest of them are going for in the prequels, but it's so much better done here. And 
frankly, we wouldn't have gotten to the character if Snoke was still pulling the string. So, frankly, it's better to off him now and be done with it as much as that might some, might annoy some audience members. Because, uh, honestly, the way they do it in the movie seems like it's a big F you. Like, you know, we, why, why, why is Snoke dead? Because F you, that's why, right? So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, what's Snoke's backstory? Why, why did he get the scar? How come he looks like his face is melted? Like, why is he this? Why is he that? And I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter. And I know some people might say that's lazy storytelling, but ultimately, if it doesn't matter, it would be lazy storytelling to continue and focus on that, I, I think at least. So I was kind of happy with that. Audience, the audience cheered. They broke out into applause when that happened, when I saw the movie the first time. My goodness. It was, that, that was one of my, my favorite parts of the whole movie, not even because of what happened, but because of how the audience reacted. And to go off on a little tangent real quick, I think that's one of my favorite parts about seeing advanced screenings, like the early screenings, because not a single person spoke. No one was on their phones. No one really reacted. And I mean, I don't care if people reacted in a negative way, but I mean, no one made the movie-going experience worse. Everyone clapped and emoted when the, the exciting parts happened uh we'll get to the hyperspace jump in a bit but i mean when that part happened i've never seen been in a theater and i mean i was too but i've never been in a theater that was so stunned into silence it was pretty cool honestly i really like that but regardless back to the snoke it was a it, i was a, i think it was a bold decision for them to make and i think it worked for the for the film it pushes the action forward pretty pretty heavily and, and it's going to have repercussions in episode nine in 2019 uh, on the subject of Ray, it's another decision to have her be nobody, and that's going to bother some people, but I think this is my actually my favorite, you know, quote-unquote big decision made yet. I mean, let's think about the other major characters in the series, right? Anakin was a slave from some crap planet in the middle of nowhere. Luke was a farm boy. Han was a random indebted smuggler. I mean, Leia was the only character of note to have some kind of big background, so it's kind of nice that Ray is just... An everyman, as they, as they say, right? Which makes sense, right? The Force doesn't belong to just one bloodline. It's not some royal trait passed down from family member to family member. It belongs to every being in the entire universe, right? That's a big idea that The Last Jedi pushes on us or tries to tell us that it's not necessarily about being the chosen one or having blood that has a lot of midi-chlorians in it. I know you guys really wanted to hear about midi-chlorians, right? But it's about being in tune with this energy that binds the universe together. That's what the Force is about. And everyone has the Force. Theoretically, you have the Force. I have the Force. But only a select few can manipulate it as expertly as uh, the Jedi can. And I just thought it was kind of nice to make the decision to not have her be related to Obi-Wan or to Luke or to Han or whatever. I mean, I certainly thought she was. I mean, I didn't have any reason to think otherwise. But at the same time, I love the decision. I, I, I really do. But those are the main character beats, I guess, that will have caused a lot of consternation. There were some smaller things as well. I mean, you know, there's the there's the bit with Leia when uh, Kylo Ren makes the conscious decision to not shoot the proton torpedoes. I assume, that's, I assume they were proton torpedoes. I, we haven't really been introduced to other kinds of torpedoes all that much in the movies, at least, certainly in the video games. But regardless, we he, he, he decides to not fire on the bridge of the Mon Calamari cruiser and his tie escorts do and she gets blown into space and you kind of think holy crap did that is that how they kill carrie fisher like considering they made all the kind of hubbub about her you know having a respectful way to go out <laughs> after dying in like, real life right and of course that's not what happens she doesn't die she uses the force to survive in the vacuum of space but the the resulting scene where she kind of uses the force she kind of just like mary poppins-esque flies back into the destroyed bridge and then they 
can I take her inside? Well, okay, fine. I can suspend my disbelief by saying maybe Leia knew the torpedoes were coming by using the Force, and she prepped herself by using the Force again to, you know, preser- preserve her organs or something, whatever, right? Who cares? Le- Leia has been around for however many years. You would think she knows how to use the Force in some fashion, and if the point of that scene was to display to us, the viewers, that Leia knows how to use the Force, because we've only ever really seen her, you know, when someone dies or someone calls out to her, we'll see her kind of, like, say, Luke or Han, or she'll sit down or whatever, right? And if the point of us, if the point of that scene was to show us that she knows how to use the Force beyond that, then I get it, but at the same time, it looked so visually goofy that... I, 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 you gotta think that there could have been another way, right? She, like, she creates some kind of force bubble around herself to prevent the, herself from being blown, I don't know, blown into space, whatever, right? It's not, yeah, not that big a deal, but in the grand scheme of things, it just looked kind of out of place considering all else that was going on in the movie, but whatever, like I said, the movie has some flaws, it's not perfect, and that's just a nitpicky one, if I'm being completely honest, but... I don't know. The character character decisions in the movie were were great. I already mentioned that I really liked Kylo Ren. He is such a fascinating take on the villain. And on a, compl- on a little bit of a related note, if you go in and check emo Kylo Ren out on Twitter, brilliant tweets. I don't know who runs that account, but uh, if you're listening to this, you do a great job. I I, I am vastly entertained by the <laughs> by the tweet. Uh, yes, I'm a monster, but have you considered the real monster society? I don't know. It's great. You should <laughs> give that give that account a a follow if you do not already. But, okay, let's talk about a little broader stuff, right? The Last Jedi might be the most gorgeous movie in the whole saga. The visuals, I guess, conjured up by Ryan Johnson and company are just so cool. I'm reminded in particular, and I mentioned this already, the Ameline Holdo, played by Laura Dern. She's a vice admiral, I guess, promoted to admiral after Leia gets knocked knocked out in that aforementioned bridge explosion. And uh, I'm reminded of her... Uh, suicide jump to hyperspace. She kind of turns the Mon Calamari cruiser around, points it towards the Super Star Destroyer, the Supremacy Snoke's kind of like sideways Super Star Destroyer, and she jumps to hyperspace. And the the visual of of seeing that ship fly through the Supremacy is just so cool. That is that is I think honestly for me, and I know this is still kind of fresh, so I, maybe I'm prone to hyperbole a little bit because it's so new. But after seeing it a second time, that is still by far I think my favorite individual kind of few shots that I've seen in any of the Star Wars movies. It is so friggin' cool looking. And I mean, whatever. The logistics of how she did it aside, and I'm willing I'm I'm willing to accept not everyone or every ship could do that thanks to safety protocols or whatever, because I don't know, I'm a huge nerd and I read all the books and blah blah blah, but I'm willing to accept that not every ship could do that. I mean, because, of course, the argument would be, well, why don't they just, if they're losing the battle, why don't they just point one of those ships at the Super Star Destroyer back in, in Return of the Jedi, right? The Death Star, even better, right? Like, Starkiller Base, and just, like, blow shit up, right? I mean, I get I get that complaint, but, I mean, just ignoring that, that was so cool. Honestly, it, it is, I want that as a desktop wallpaper stat, and I'm usually the one cheering for the bad guys, right? I love that. I have a freaking Empire tattoo on my shoulder. But it's not just that, right? There are other shots as well. Luke walking through the burning door on Crate at the end of the movie, or even just right after that, Kylo Ren and Luke on the screen together, kind of one at each end of your th- cinema screen, Kylo on the left and Luke on the right, with their lightsabers drawn kind of in their poses, like Kylo in his really aggressive pose and Luke kind of in his defensive posture. And then a, f- a few mo- moments later, we see the- them reverse. And it's-, it's so cool looking, honestly. Even the shot of Luke and Yoda, and yes... Yoda, voiced by none other than Frank Oz, makes an appearance to teach Luke, you know, one more lesson. Even the shot of them sitting in front of a flaming tree was pretty cool one as well. I think, honestly, it's easily some of the franchises as a whole, including The Force Awakens and Rogue One, some of its most stunning, stunning work, honestly. And, ah, the humor. 
<laughs> I, I've heard a lot about the humor from my friends, my family who've seen it, etc. How about how it's forced and silly and takes you out of the moment. Now, this is what I need to say about the humor. Humor is probably one of the more subjective things in the world. Not just, not just Star Wars, but I mean in general, right? Whether you're seeing a comedic movie or what. And I've talked about that in the podcast as well. So I'm not here to say to you that, no, this is funny and that is not. I am right and you're wrong. I'm not here to say that, certainly. You can interpret what is funny and what is not funny yourself. You don't need me to tell you because everyone's taste and humor is different, right? But I will just kindly remind you that the prequels had some of the, the, the I don't want to say ugliest, but it perhaps the humor in the prequels perhaps fell the flattest, if I had to say, right? I mean, even the best prequel movie, Revenge of the Sith, had R2-D2 crapping out oil onto droids and watching them burn while making fart noises. Or even going back to The Phantom Menace, we had droids snoring out lines like, Roger, Roger, uh, does not compute, you're under arrest, right? And then, let, let, let's not pretend this was close to, like, the worst the worst humor like people are saying, right? I mean, you go, I mean, again, you go on the internet, and the internet is kind of the harbinger of the worst, the worst things on earth sometimes, right? So, I mean, especially Twitter and Reddit and, and other forms of social media comments on YouTube, oh my god, they're the, they're the absolute worst. So, I mean, I guess I wouldn't put too much stock into that, but... It, I, I, at least for me, it is not even close to being the, you know, quote-unquote worst mo- humor in the movies. And I mean, when the movie starts, the movie kind of starts and we get a kind of comedic exchange between Oscar Isaacs, Poe Dameron, and Domal Gleeson, General Hux. And if that kind of humor is not for you, I feel like the entire humor in the whole movie may not be for you. And I mean, that's not a problem. I mean, it, it will be for you or it won't be for you. You know, Maybe you'll like some of the jokes, but not all. And I mean, that, that's what humor is, right? So, I mean, I'm not here to do a treatise on what, what is to be, what is it to be funny? Like, certainly not. But I just thought that, that the humor, the complaint about the humor was such a big one that I feel like I had to at least talk about it a little bit. But I mean, whatever, who, who, it, it ultimately doesn't really matter because, like I said, it's going to vary so wildly, like more than other things, I feel like, from person to person. I guess to, we, we talked a little bit about Snoke and Rey and Leia and some of the major characters, right? To get down to the other characters, I think this movie did, as one flaw, make me dislike some of the major characters more than I did before, right? And I think that's generally thanks to the relatively pointless storyline on Canso Bite, the casino city. And I honestly didn't really care that much for Rose. And as, as much as as much as that almost pains me to say, because the actor Kelly Marie Tran did such a great job, and it was so cool, so cool to see another person of color, a woman, in such a prominent role. But I, I just didn't really care either way about her. So when a major scene happens with her in which she almost dies, you kind of just go, okay, right? I mean, the relationship that develops between her and Finn never really feels super earned to me. Which, I mean, that'll happen in a movie that takes place over a course of a few days, so it's not really the biggest of deals. It's just something that's just kind of, it just kind of sits there, right? And I mean, and speaking of that relationship, I'm not entirely a fan, frankly, of what's perceived to be kind of like a, a budding love triangle, even quadrangle. I guess a quadrangle would just be a square, right? But with Finn and Rose, Ray, and maybe Poe. I mean, my cousin told me I was crazy for saying that Poe was involved, but I mean, based on the kind of flirty way they talk at the end, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me pulling that out of my ass. I just kind of almost feel like, despite all the strides the franchise has made towards including, you know, a black guy as a lead and now an Asian woman as another lead, I, you know, it's almost like too good to be true to have Finn and Ray get together. I mean, of course, 
does that me does me even saying that undermine the whole idea of like strong women characters because this movie that's a major part of it the strong female characters that started in the force awakens continues in this movie leia is the leader of the resistance then the after she kind of goes out of commission the next major character who gets like the reins is um uh, Laura Dern's character, Emmeline Holdo, the vice admiral, right? She doesn't take any shit from Poe, who is frankly an asshole to her throughout the entire film. You know, she kind of tosses out his machismo, his masculinity, and kind of just tosses it out and says, you know, I don't need any trigger happy, trigger, excuse me, trigger happy, dangerous cowboy pilots. I don't need any of those people. What I need are measured responses and I need people to follow orders. And of course, Poe throws that all out and, you know, kind of en- enacts a dangerous plan with Rose and Finn, but. The idea of, of powerful women in the Star Wars universe is a popular one, and it would been it would have been so easy to give the role of Emmeline Holdo to like someone like Admiral Akbar, who dies kind of off screen, frankly. But I mean, it would have been so easy to give that role to him. But they they, they resisted because, and, and I think it's great because it, it thrusts more women into the spotlight. And again, it wasn't like they were thrusting a, some random actor into the spotlight. It was Laura Friggin Dern. So I mean, you know. It was completely fine. It's just, you're always going to hear people complain. Again, no pleasing the entire fan base, certainly, right? I'm, I'm not going to pretend the movie had no flaws. I mean, I've been talking about the flaws a lot, even though I vastly liked the majority of stuff in the movie. But some of the flaws, you know, I mentioned the quick timeline, which can be a little confusing at times, right? How many days did Ray actually spend with Luke? Was it, was it only one day? Did we intersperse? Was it a number of days? I'm pretty sure it was a number of days because we see her spend a few nights there, but... You know, why, why not make that a little clearer, right? It seems to be that, because it, because the rest of the movie seems to take place over that 18-hour span in which the fleet has fuel, and then, you know, Finn and Rose go off to their mission, and, and Ray's with Luke. It would seem to imply that the events of the movie take place kind of, anyways, kind of before, I guess, because The Force Awakens ends with the shot, the first thing we see of Ray in this movie. I don't know if I'm explaining myself correctly, but... I guess that's the thought process, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a little convoluted when you have to follow the timeline. You know, why make the eight Fleet only have 18 hours worth of fuel anyways? Just to, just to move it along? And I mean, speaking of that plot point, did no one in the First Order think to send a few of their own properly fueled Star Destroyers on, like, what, a mini hyperspace jump ahead and pen in the one Resistance cruiser? I mean, I know space is kind of 3D, so it's not like they, just, they could just go forward, they could go up, down, sideways, or whatever, but I mean... We see the fleet, the, the First Order fleet there, they had like 12 Star Destroyers, just then one in every freaking direction. Like, it, it wouldn't have been that hard. Although, I, I, I suppose that's just supposed to speak to General Hux's, like, General Hux's general incompetence, but as he's never really shown to be really any good at commanding in the movies, and the Admiral at the beginning of the movie, the kind of gruff, cranky one who dies right at the beginning of the movie, even he seems to almost openly mock Hux. So, so... I mean, maybe that's all it is, but I feel like I shouldn't have to chalk it up to maybes and what-ifs, right? It should be kind of told to us, at least a a teeny bit more directly, I feel like. But you know what? Like I said, The Last Jedi is not perfect, because few movies are. I guess I'm just willing to overlook the flaws in the movie, because there are some lows there. The highs are just so high, right? Another real big high is Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill reprises his role as Luke Skywalker, and he presents this flawed... I don't want to say angry, but disappointed, uh, kind of vo- almost volatile version of Luke Skywalker. He's not the Luke Skywalker we know and love. And, of course, he's kind of hermited himself away. And it's kind of cool that when we first see Luke, it's, again, like I mentioned, the first time we see Luke and Rey is is kind of a direct continuation of the scene at the very end of The Force Awakens when... 
uh, Ray is handing Luke's old lightsaber to him, right? And he kind of looks at it. He's like, he's kind of like looking at her. And the movie ends, right? So when we see Luke and Ray in this movie, it's kind of cool because at the same time, we kind of, I don't know, we. Okay, I guess I, I guess I have to talk about the moment specifically. We essentially see Luke pick up his lightsaber from Ray, kind of examine it, and then chuck it over his shoulder and walk away. And that's such a cool moment to me because, I mean, it was funny, certainly. The audience loved it, and it was kind of, not again, not what you expected, toys with your expectations. But the cool part of that, to me at least, was that it almost is like saying everything that came before doesn't matter. And I mean, J.J. Abrams, I use the word, uh, I use the term palate cleanser before, but J.J. Abrams has said that The Force Awakens is meant to be a palate cleanser, right? So when we see the first thing he does in this movie, Luke does in this movie, is to toss a lightsaber. It's almost like to say, you know what? Everything that came before, including what happened in The Force Awakens, doesn't matter. Throw it out. Doesn't really matter. It's not important. We're starting over here. And that, I thought, was really cool because it was it was bold. It was different. It was It was unique, right? So... I can't complain too much about that. Uh, Luke, again, was definitely a highlight of the movie. There's some really cool visuals with Luke, again, like, like I mentioned. You know, he did some pretty interesting things considering we hadn't seen Mark Hamill be in this role for a number of years. I don't want to really count The Force Awakens considering he had no speaking parts in that and literally was on screen for like 30 seconds. But it was such a tragic idea of what we thought Luke was because our our impressions as fans that is that Luke is a perfect awesome powerful Jedi master and so to see him not be that I mean he was very powerful but to see him not be perfect and flawless was again a shock and again Luke is one of the characters that has to deal with his own failure and the expectations that not only others put on him but that he put on himself and he feels he failed and maybe he did, maybe he didn't, it's up to him, and of course the audience to dissect, but it was just an interesting take on Luke Skywalker, and it's pretty safe to say he'll be reprising his role in the next movie, there's no reason for him not to, but, I mean, again, I I don't want to assume, considering all of my, my big assumption for The Last Jedi was that Rey would fall to the dark side. I thought she would fall to the dark side, and that Kylo Ren wouldn't necessarily be back in the light side, quote-unquote, but he would be kind of cast out of Snoke's favor, and they would move forward with kind of Rey as Snoke's kind of apprentice, kind of like taking a page out of the uh, out of the Knights of the Old Republic, and you know Rey was the kind of Bastila analog, and I don't know. Maybe that's just maybe that's just too presumptuous of me. I do really like Knights of the Old Republic, so I was kind of maybe hoping that would happen. I mean, we also know that Ryan Johnson is making his own. Um, you know, his his own Star Wars trilogy, like, it, 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 that's not necessarily connected to the Ray Finn, Kylo Ren, Luke Skywalker saga. It's taking place. It's a completely new thing. We don't know what the time period is. I'm really hoping it's Knights of the Old Republic, and maybe we'll get a true adaptation of that storyline, because frankly, it's 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 so cool. But, I mean, who knows, right? But any, anyways, that's kind of a bit of a digression, but that's clearly not what happened in the movie. So, it, but again, I, I'm not complaining about what actually happened. It was really cool. And isn't, isn't that what we want in the end, right? Like the cool moments, the fight in the throne room, Luke versus Kylo Ren, the hyperspace suicide jump. Isn't that what we want, right? It sets up the third act of this trilogy, which is going to be helmed again by J.J. Abrams in 2019, up for some cool, surprising finishes, and we're getting ready for it to go in another direction. 
in ways the movies haven't gone before. And that's a good thing, right? There's no sense in having every movie just be the same every single time. Why would anyone want that? That just seems kind of boring, <laughs> right? You don't, if, if, if you were just going to go to the theater to see The Last Jedi and you were going to sit there and what, just expect for there to be a big re- reveal where Snoke says, no, Ray, I am your father. And, you know, and, 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 and that's what is the major twist, quote unquote. And then, and then Ray is actually, and then Snoke is actually like Darth Plagueis who, who managed to survive Darth Sidious's attack on him. And, and, you know, he, he, he's an ancient Sith Lord and he, he abides by the rule of two and all this stuff. And, you know, Kylo Ren and her fight and you learn, oh my God, Kylo Ren and Rey are actually brother and sister. Oh my gosh. You know, and why, why do that when you could make something new? It is, if you want, if you want to rehash of the old movies, just go watch the old movies. They didn't, they're still there. You can't, they haven't been destroyed. Although some people might argue differently with the alterations and stuff, but I don't think they've been destroyed. They're, 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 they're still 99.9% there. They're, the movies we all know and love, the dialogue is all still there. We can still watch it anytime we want. And I guess that's why I'm a little more forgiving of the flaws in this movie because it's a fun ride. It's refreshing. It's new. It's different. And I think that's good for Star Wars. You don't get to be, you don't get to be a franchise that has all these movies with, with, and just keep with doing the same thing over and over and over. Right. I mean, it would, it would just wouldn't be as fun if you kept doing that. If you couldn't tell, I liked star Wars, the last Jedi. I admit when I came out of the theater the first time, I didn't really know what to think. It wasn't just about growing up or maybe not growing as, as close to the canon or to the, to the movies as possible or as, as I used, I, as I used to be, certainly. Um, I don't think it's just that. Maybe that's a part of it. It's not just that though. It's simply that, I had to think about it. I had to digest it a little bit. But ultimately, and after seeing it a second time, I think I can confirm this for myself, is that the difference is the movie is so new and interesting that I would see it a dozen more times and probably not get sick of it. I, w- I really want to see that Canto bite sequence again so I can see there are some people on the in the credits I didn't I didn't notice. I mean, Gareth Edwards was in the movie apparently, director of Rogue One, I didn't spot him. I mean, again, I don't exactly know what he exactly looks like, but it'd be cool to see if you can kind of spot some cool stuff in the background, right? And the last thing I want to talk about before we get off is the ending of the movie. So after Ray and Finn and everyone is kind of rescued by the Millennium Falcon and they kind of fly off into the sunset waiting for the next installment, we go back to Canto Bight and we see those little children that were kind of under the thumb of the ruling class, I guess, of Kanto Bite, the children who helped uh, train the horse-like creatures. And we see them retelling the story. So clearly there's some time has passed, right? Because they're, they're retelling the story of Luke standing down the Imperial or the, well, I guess it is the Empire at this point, really, but the, standing down the First Order army on Crate, the planet they finished the movie on. And... They're kind of retelling the story when the grumpy kind of slave owner guy like charges in and screams something in an alien language and they all kind of flee. And the last shot of the movie, and I think this is important, is we see the, the young little boy, he kind of just reaches out, force grab, very casually force grabs some broom and then he kind of just walks off, he's dusting the floor and then he looks up into the stars 
and he adjusts the ring on his finger, and you see the Rebel Alliance ring that Rose gave to him, that kid, earlier in the movie. I mean, you didn't know she gave it to him, but it was kind of, I suppose it was done off-screen. It's not a stretch to believe that happened right there. But he kind of, you see the Rebel symbol, and he looks up into the stars, and you, the audience member, know this little, this little boy has the Force, and then he kind of, as the mu- music starts to swell, you see the boy hold his broom like a lightsaber, uh, a, a ship goes to hyperspace in the distance, boom, credits roll, right? And... It's just another bold choice. I've used the words bold and refreshing and new and exciting so many damn times that you guys are probably getting sick of it. But the truth is, that's so different for a Star Wars franchise to not end the shot on. And like, they could have easily ended the shot on Rey sitting with the broken lightsaber in her hands in the, on the Falcon, and and then we have all we need to to start the resistance right here, says Leia. And then the music swells and the credits roll. They could have easily done that, but they didn't. They they show these young children, and I think that the. It's important to realize that what they essentially did is, again, ram home the point that the Force is not Rey's, even. I mean, even even if she is the everyman, that she's not a Skywalker or a Solo or a Kenobi or or a Palpatine or what have you, right? The, The point was that even it doesn't just belong to her either. It belongs to everyone, including this little boy who has never trained as a Jedi, who just has the Force and uses it innately to help him do things like grab rooms and stuff, right? But that's kind of what the point is the point is the force is everywhere it's with everyone and everything and it's always going to be there and more to a story point it probably shows that we're going to get maybe maybe i maybe if i want to speculate a little bit we get a bit of a time jump in the next movie maybe that's how they'll they'll say goodbye to carrie fisher she'll have died between movies maybe of old age even right and then or even hopefully in some thrilling battle i think that would suit um princess leia even better but regardless they could say goodbye to her and the generation of children like uh these these kids that we saw at the end of the movie will be the new resistance the new rebellion and I think that's a great thing for the Star Wars franchise because even if the trilogy ends, you know, with Rey killing Kylo Ren, even though I still think it should be Chewie, which would be really cool to kill Kylo. But regardless, however the next movie ends, when the trilogy ends on some uh, hopefully a satisfying conclusion, it could still kind of branch off because we'll have a new generation of Jedi or a new generation of Force users who you who interpret the Force in new and creative ways and learn what it means to have balance and learns what it means to have freedom and all these things, right? So. I think that's a great way for Ryan Johnson to kind of change. Not, not that he's torn down the old Star Wars, but that he's reinvented the, 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 the way to go forward. And that is, to me, the best part of Star Wars, The Last Jedi. I will, I think, end the episode here. I mean, you guys know that I usually do two movies per episode, and I have some uh, interviews that I've done over the last week waiting to be published, um, including a good, great one on Godzilla with my friend Cody Piper that'll come out next week. But I will save that for its own episode, maybe do a Coco review. Pitch Perfect 3 is coming out, maybe that one as well. But this one will be a Star Wars-only episode since, you know, of course, like I said, why spoil a good thing? Star Wars is love. Star Wars is life. But regardless, thank you for listening to Houston. We have a podcast. This has been the Star Wars-themed episode 12 And may the force be with you, always.